Hey, everyone. We just shot our podcast with our latest one with uh, Bob Galinsky. I just want to apologize for some audio issues going into it. So for everyone listening, be aware that there are some audio glitches. Do the best we can with editing it. But um, Bob's connection, internet connection, wasn't quite up to speed. Still got all the good content in. Great conversation. Uh, Just be aware of the audio and enjoy the talk. And we'll talk to you soon. On today's ASA Health Podcast, we have Bob Galinsky. Bob is the owner of Garage Gym in Oneida, New York, a personal training and group fitness studio that is in its eighth year of business. Bob is an ISSA certified fitness and nutrition specialist and USAW coach. He was a WNBF natural pro bodybuilder from 2015 to 2017. Bob has completed all 46 Adirondack High Peaks, making him an Adirondack 46er. He has run three 50K distances, two of which were official races, and placed first in a recent 50-mile race. He is running the Dead Horse Ultra, a 50-miler in two weeks in Moab, Utah. Bob, we want to welcome you to the ASA Health Podcast. Hey, Bob, welcome to the ASA Health Podcast. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about you, Josh? Doing good. Doing good. We got Andy and Bob on today's show. And uh, Bob's got a really awesome background I want all of our listeners to understand. He comes from a background. He played college football. He was pro bodybuilder. He's done a lot of CrossFit. He's done jujitsu. And now he is an endurance runner. (laughs) And, oh, yeah. Um, quite an ultra, ultra endurance runner. Ultra endurance runner. Yes. So something I want to start off with, Bob, is uh, what started you into the whole running journey? Like you're, you're not just running 5Ks here. So you, you flipped your training totally 180 degrees to focus on running and not only short distances, but quite elite distances. So what was the switch and what led you to that? Yeah. And I'll also add to that, Bob, when did you make that switch? Cause I want to say, I think it was about maybe two years ago, possibly three. I don't remember when it was when you shifted from the strength and bodybuilding to getting into running, but when was that? Uh, it was about two years ago. So I mean, actually to go back a little further, uh, really back into high school, I used to play a lot of baseball and I didn't make the team and I basically got kind of lazy and my dad came up to me one day. It was just like, Bob, you're, you need to get into some other type of sport. You need to do something other than playing video games. And so he talked me into running the Boilermaker with him. I did cross country for a year. And then I ran the Boilermaker for 15 years. I was a pretty avid runner back then, but I never ran over 10 miles. Um, and then when I got into bodybuilding, I kind of let go of running because I was burning too many calories and I couldn't build enough muscle. So I just cut it out in order to maximize the muscle gain. How I got back into it was a couple of years ago. I kind of got sick of bodybuilding. I was bored there. I uh, had done some CrossFit and was getting actually ready for Murph one year and ran a mile and took me 20 minutes to recover. I was out of breath. I didn't want to start my workout. I was just like, I almost had frame cough. Like, I was just like, what? I have not been training this. So uh, I decided from there on out I was going to start running at least three miles once a week. Um, so I started doing that. And then Got talked into doing the White Face Sky Race um, back in 2019. And I had a blast doing it. It was mostly hiking. I actually ended up placing 13th out of 50 competitors for a five, five mile run and decided that it was really fun. And I kind of wanted more. And, uh, like six months later, joined into a Rochester race called the Winter Trail Festival. And same idea, it was a 10 mile run. So it was the farthest I'd ever ran in competition. And I placed third out of probably the same thing, like another 30 or 40 people. I was like, hmm, maybe I'm a better runner than I give myself credit. And maybe I should start training a little bit more. Um, and then I, a buddy of mine at the gym wanted to run the Saranac 6 Ultra with me. And I was like, you know, that's like 30 plus miles in a day. And he, he never ran. So I was like, well, if he thinks he can do it, I might as well. Uh, agree and I could run and get prepped for it should be fine and, uh, then my ex-girlfriend talked me into signing up for the weekly dam and 
this was the early 2020, so I was kind of nervous. I was like, I've never ran over 10 miles. Uh, I didn't have a program. I didn't know really what I was doing other than what I used to do, which is training kind of stupid. I just used, back when I was running the Boilermakers, I used to just run balls to the wall every run. Never had any plan or, um, like, didn't pay attention to heart rate very much. Just kind of went out and killed myself. Um, which I think is pretty common for a lot of people when they, when they first start. Um, so I finally decided to look up a program online for getting ready for a 50 miler. And I just modified the programming for myself, uh, for a 30 and I just started training. Um, and after basically there's a base volume you do for about 10, 12 weeks. And I went through that. And after the 10, 12 weeks, I started feeling really good. Uh, I was getting much more efficient and, and then after that, you start increasing mileage. In this specific program I was doing, you increase mileage every two weeks. And I just did that all the way up into uh, June of 2020. And finally hit a point where a buddy of mine wanted to join me for a run. He, he wanted to go for a 50K. And I decided to join him and got my first distance out of the way. Of course, it wasn't a race because everything was canceled last year. But it was one of the most empowering things that... I'd ever done to realize I could run that far. Uh, and it just kind of got me hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and then Bob, that 50 K led you into wanting to run a 50 miler, right? Yeah. Uh, in time, it wasn't one of my original goals. Um, and actually kind of going back to your original question of one of the other things that would have made me was, um, I've, I follow some people, through socials and YouTube that do some crazy adventures in the mountains. And because I love to hike and I love these mountain adventures, um, after working on the 46 peaks for so long, I started seeing people do like triathlons in the back country and all these other cool events. And I started saying, I want to be able to have the ability to do that. That was also what kind of sparks in my motivation for 50 K mileage. But yeah, once I was successful at the, at the 50 K mileage, then it came to my head, like, well, I want to run an original race, but then maybe I'll start thinking about that 50 mile distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's quite a progression. And that's a, and that's a fast progression. You're talking two years. You went from running a mile that was really painful to running yeah. a 50 miler and taking first place. That was in uh, September, right? Uh, yeah, it was September 25th, I think, okay. um, at the Morgan Hill Meat Grinder in Syracuse. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Did you um during that race, the 50 miler? Did you ever consider quitting? Oh, not at all. No. Um, at that point, my base volume was so good, or my aerobic training was so good. And it was probably the smartest race that I've run to date so far. Um, I just stayed with a, two other runners that I had competed with before, and I knew that they were similar in pace to me. So uh, they were good friends. I knew they were going to be roughly at a pace I wanted to be at. So actually, the three of us just hung out for the first 41 miles together. We were running at like a 9 to 10-mile pace, probably on average. So we were all breathing pretty easy, taking our time, having fun, talking, communicating. Um, and then it wasn't until the last nine miles we all kind of went our own way and see who had the ability to win that. Wow. wow. When, when you say you ran a smart race, um, can you tell the listeners, like, what are some of the tactics involved in trying to make sure that you can finish the distance and, and do well in it? Um, so the first one is basically what I kind of already touched on, which is basically just not trying to go balls to the wall right from the get-go. If I had raced out, started trying to go at an eight minute mile from the get-go, I would have probably bonked hard and then it would have been hard to come back and have the energy I needed to finish. Um, So going off of that nutrition, and I've heard this since I started running or training for ultras, is that your nutrition plan for that distance is actually probably one of the hardest things to figure out. The distance, most of us can probably push through, but if you don't have the right nutrition plan and you're not putting calories in and electrolytes in and sodium in, you're going to bonk hard and crash. Um, so the biggest thing there, one of the things that uh, mm-hmm. Bethany and Doug were doing, and I was doing the same thing with them, was roughly every 45 minutes or so, we're intaking about two to 300 calories. Um, so 
myself specifically, I was using honey stinger gels, um, some Gatorade blocks for extra electrolytes. And then I use Talwin Nutrition, which is basically a liquid electrolyte drink. And so between the three of those, I'm intaking about 250 to 300 calories per hour, uh, for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and without that, your muscles may cramp or bunk, and then again, hard to come back. And how long were you out there? there? What was your finishing time? Uh, my finish time was 11 hours and three minutes. Okay, so you're so. talking about... 2,500 calories roughly while you're out there on the run, huh? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Probably more than most people eat in a day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, um. It, to me, 2,500 calories, though, for 11 hours, right, of activity, that seems, that seems not, I don't know, that doesn't seem like a lot of calories, or am I wrong? I don't know. It's not, no, it's not super high. Um, oh, and actually it's, some of the stations I even took in like half, you know, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, some potato chips, um, M&Ms, pickles. Um, so there's even more in there, probably 3000 plus, but, uh, anything to get some extra sodium, extra, extra carbohydrates. So this is uh, something, this is something I find interesting with the fueling for an ultra is, you know, you're mentioning the, uh, whatever M&Ms and all these junk foods, like fast digesting stuff that your body can handle yeah. and digest easily. Um, yep. but do you eat that same stuff on your training days? Cause I know you, and you're not like a big, you're not eating bags of M&Ms all the time, but you're out there no. training and you're doing high mileage all week long. So are you eating differently on the race day than you are on your training days? Um, a little bit. So, I mean, I still do ingest some, some junk food throughout the day to make up those calories. But as, I mean, as you guys know, I still eat pretty healthy. So I'm still typically eating three major meals with uh, high protein, um, high fiber foods, fruits, vegetables. Um, but then throughout the day, I am making up calories with anything from cookies to Pop-Tarts to, um, I don't do ice cream very often, but occasionally, um, what else? Let's see, some potato chips here and there, especially on my longer run days. So long runs are hard workout days because I'm usually burning roughly 800 to 1200 calories on one of my, uh, at least three times a week. Wow. And, and I want to, I want to remind everyone listening that you weigh what, about 185? Yeah. 185 to 190, depending on the day and what I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not talking a 150 pounder that runs 50 miles. We're talking no. someone that has a lot of muscle density. <laughs> um, yes. So you're burning even more than, you know, probably your average really skinny runner, you know? Oh, oh yeah. My, I mean, I have a high metabolism in general, always have. Um, but my basic metabolic rate is probably 28 to 3000 calories. And now you're talking burning another one to 3000 calories, depending on my run. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from like four to 6,000 calories a day, which I should be intaking most days, I'm probably not even hitting that top number. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, during that race, Bob, um, now you said you were averaging like a nine to 10 minute mile. Um, is that, is there walking involved there or is that? Yeah. So is there a run walk strategy? Cause like I am not a distance runner. I've run a few boiler makers, but that's it. But I know that you can get fairly effective results. And I think this is really good for a lot of people listening that may be interested in, in endurance running is like a run walk strategy. Did you implement that in your training or on race day? Can you tell us about that? For sure. So uh, even when I started training almost about a year and a half ago, uh, I, because I used to be a road runner and it's kind of big in road running that you don't walk that when I first started last year, even I was kind of in that mentality of no walking, just got to keep moving, even if it's slow. And as I started paying more attention to my training, paying attention to my heart rate, I started realizing I was still training harder than I should have been. Uh, so once I started paying a little bit more attention to my heart rate and, um, realizing that I wasn't in Z1 and Z2 for most of those runs, I actually had to uh, probably, what was it, May of, May of last year, I think it was, I actually had to go and start walking just to keep my heart rate low enough, wow. um, excuse me, to stay in like a Z2 uh, heart rate. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I had to do that for probably at least two weeks until my heart rate started to adapt. And then I could start jogging really slow. And I'm talking for somebody who's been an athlete for years, used to run uh, and had been running for almost six months at that time. I had, I was starting to run at like 11 and a half minute pace just to keep my heart rate low enough. Uh, it was mentally hard because I was like, I'm an athlete. Why do I, why am I having to run this slow? Uh, so it was kind of, it was a mental block, mental, mental frustration for me. But after about two three weeks, I started seeing the benefit and it kind of gave me this whole new belief in running and understanding how important heart rate really is. Uh, and now a year and a half later, my Z2 is probably like an 8.30 or 8-minute pace. I can move pretty fast while nasal breathing, not breathing out of my mouth at all, and in a very comfortable place. Wow. And I want to remind people listening, I'm sure a lot of them may not even know zone 1, zone 2. Zone 1 is a heart rate of uh, what I know it varies from person to person in your age and whatnot, but like a 120 heart rate. Is that, am I right about that? Or I think maybe even a little under that. Yeah. But like probably 100 to 120 maybe. And C2, like probably 120 to 130, 35, 140. And then Z3, you're getting up into the now like 140 to 160 range. Yep. And so you spend, um, and you spent a lot of time monitoring heart rate to, to pace you, essentially, right? Yeah. And when I say heart rate, I use that loosely because uh, the biggest thing that I started using was a Garmin Phoenix 5. And mm-hmm. With those technologies, they're not 100% accurate, especially at higher intensity. They're fine for resting heart rate, but not really great for running. So even these, you truly need like either a chest monitor or you can turn the arm now, which is one I'm probably going to invest in at some point. So uh, after reading the uphill athlete, one of the things I took away for somebody who doesn't have uh, a more accurate monitor was nasal breathing and basically implied and i thought this was one of the probably the biggest things i took away from that book is if you can breathe in and out of your nose you will stay in a z2 or lower heart rate wow once you start breathing out of your mouth you've crossed into z3 wow wow unless you're me and i have a deviated septum (laughs) and so yeah my nose is horrible (laughs) hey bob did you did you have to teach yourself to uh breathe out of your nose when you run because I know for me, I, I had to do that as well. I used to breathe out of my mouth, like even when I was running this slow pace. Um, and yep. I started to try to train myself to nasal breathe. And that felt really awkward at first for probably the first couple of months. Yeah, And I, I started breathing in through my nose and out through my mouth years ago. I had a, a coach that I met through the turning stone and she had taught me that with running. So I had gotten on that path, but it was still in the nose, out the mouth. With this book in the up to last day, they talk about, being able to go in and out of your nose and not using the mouth at all. And that was a whole new technique. It definitely took not a super long time. I would say maybe several runs to a couple of weeks and then it started to become natural, but I still as an athlete wanted to go faster. So it was battling myself to slow down. Yep. Mm-hmm. But once I did it, it has, it has showed so much benefit that I would encourage anybody who wants to be a good runner to make that a priority mm-hmm. did you um nasal breathe with the 50 miler that you ran oh yeah pretty much the entire uh the entire 41 miles to start my heart rate was probably i i didn't even look at it most of the time but i would say under 130 most of the time unless we were going up the hills mm-hmm. um and it was pretty easy like i said we just had conversations joked around the whole time for 41 miles and then once we got to the last nine miles i started to kick it in now i was probably anywhere from c3 to z4 mm-hmm. uh and probably even at certain sections maybe where i was going downhill towards the finish line where i was probably clipping at z5 just trying to finish but um but yeah for the most most of it just in and out through the nose and out through the nose just so it becomes second nature what was the most challenging part of the 50 miler for you? Because the way you're talking about it, you actually make it sound like it, 
it went really well, obviously. And you make it sound yes. like it went, it was really easy. You know, you're like, I'm breathing through my nose. I was chit chatting with my friends for 45 miles. And yeah. <laughs> like, what, what was the, what was the hardest part of it? Yeah. And do you think like looking back on it, that you could have gone faster or improved? I mean, you won the race, but could you have done even better? Cause it sounds like you cruised it. I, I think so. Um, like I said, the last nine miles were tough because I was racing a buddy, but those first 41 miles, I'd say it was smart because I had a lot of energy finishing, but the entire time I, like I was in the back of my head saying I could go faster. This feels really slow. Um, which like I said, on one side of it, I'm glad I went slow because I had a huge kick for those last nine miles. But at the same time, like when I did my weekly 55, that one, I think that one, I went, I think I actually raced the weekly pretty well to the point where I went hard from the beginning, but I still had enough in the tank at the end where in this race, I almost feel like I went too easy and I just, and the only part of the race that was really racing was the last nine miles. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now is that because you were being extra cautious because it was your longest um, distance? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was a mixture of being my longest distance, being a little nervous, scared, didn't want to overdo it. I also knew that based on the people who I was racing with and who I knew that I knew I was going to stand a chance to be in the top five. I didn't, I honestly didn't think I was going to be placing first, but I did think you never know everybody else's day. There's potential for that. So my goal was like, not only do I want to finish, but I want to not burn myself out early. So I just wanted to play smart, save and conserve energy. So that if what actually happened happened, I would be prepared and ready. Yeah. Clearly, clearly I was. (laughs) Yeah. Nicely done. Can you talk us, can you tell us a little bit about your, your weekly training? Because I think a lot of people don't understand what running training looks like. If you're actually training for races, a lot of people think that if you're training for running, then you just, you know, every day or every other day or whatever, you just go out for a run. And most people run at the same speed and the same distance every time. Like they have their favorite five mile loop and every day they just go out and do their loop. But people who are into running, like you've become, you have a lot of variation in your training from day to day. There's long days, there's short days, there's faster days. There's, can you tell us a little bit about how that all mixes up and what a week, what a week Um, looks like for you? So when I started, I was actually only running three days a week. Uh, I had two workout days and uh, a long run. And really one of my workout days, I barely consider a workout. It was more of just a longer or a moderate run. So I used to run Monday, Wednesday, and Saturdays. No, I take that back. Two, maybe, well, I don't know. I forget what days, but three days a week either way. And so my first run was usually somewhere around like an hour or so, 45 minutes to an hour, which would turn out to about five, six miles. Um, and I would typically try to do that around a Z2 pace. Okay. And so pretty easy heart rate, nasal breathing. Actually, in the beginning, all of my stuff was nasal breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Wednesdays would be the same. And then my Friday or Saturday, my long run would be, um, I had now a set distance that I was trying to accomplish. And at that time, because I was just trying to build a base, originally it was 10 miles and it was the same every week for about 12 weeks. Just keep repeating, build a good base. And then once I kind of got into the three months before my race, now mileage started increasing each week. Uh, so at that point when it changed, I still had my Monday runs, which were um, still around 45 minutes to an hour. So again, roughly five or six miles for myself. And then Wednesdays, I started throwing in speed work. Um, so basically working on anything from Z3, Z4, Z5 type stuff. So um, a couple of the ones I saw were either tempo runs or uh, what are called um, strides, 30-30s, uh, basically things just working at different speeds. And then on Fridays, I got to go back to the long run. The way that old program I was following was set up, you would run about 15% uh, more mileage every two weeks. And then the week in between, it would cut you back about 30%. So if I ran, let's say, 15 miles one week, it would cut me back to like an 11-mile run. And then the next week, I'd go up to 17 and then cut back to like 13. And then so it was just kind of this increase, pull back, increase, pull back. Uh, so I followed, yeah, so I followed that all the way into last summer, I think. And then from there, I started changing and modifying. I started learning a little bit more. Uh, and then I started incorporating recovery runs, shakeouts. And so I started running about another two days a week where I would just run 
about 30 minutes. Um, so again, roughly three miles at like a 10 minute pace. Again, nasal, nasal breathing and something just very easy just to get the blood flow um, and speed up recovery. So the, um, the long runs, that makes sense because you're trying to build up pure endurance and just the ability to be on your feet for a long time. Um, what's the mentality behind these tempo runs or the speed work days? Why are you putting those in if you're trying to do a 50 mile race? Uh, great question. So, um, we want to basically improve running economy or essentially your ability to go faster. And so just like in resistance training, if, if I'm always lifting the same weight, you're, you will get a little stronger, but you need some of those, uh, faster days or heavier days to make those other days feel easier. And so when you start doing, start running at a five or six mile pace for 30 seconds or a minute, or you're running a seven and a half minute pace for 10 minutes or something like that, your body now starts to adapt to that. And then when you start running at a 10 minute pace, it just becomes that much easier to just keep going. Uh, and then the long-term effect is where I'm at today. And now I'm running most of my runs somewhere between probably an 8.30 and a 9.30 pace easy. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how the body works and adapts to things. It really is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Bob, is the uh, the biggest mistake um, people make distance running, whether it's in their training or on race day? Like, what do you see are big errors that people make? Um, probably just going too hard, mm -hmm. training way too hard, mm -hmm. uh, just like I made in the past. Probably racing balls to the wall all the time. Yeah, and I, I like that. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. And I, I'd, I'd agree, especially from like a strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, I've always read that, you know, Olympians train at 70% um, of their capacity strength training um, most days. And so, so 70% effort on their strength training days, like that's what you're saying with running, like you're not going all out all the time. And for myself, like from a strength and conditioning standpoint, that made me throttle back. And then I improved more instead of yeah. going redline all the time. Yeah. And that's such a big deal with distance running because you have to get all that mileage in but that can really wear you out. So you, I mean, you, you, you paid really close attention to your, like you said, your heart rate and keeping it in those lower zones because you had to get all that time in on your feet, but you also had to not overtrain, and that's a tough line to walk. <laughs> that it is. Uh, what, was your, what was your that. total? What was your total weekly mileage during like the peak of your training? Uh, during the peak, I think I might have been at around forty-five miles a week, which wow. is kind of low. It's kind of low even for. Uh, training for that uh, mileage. I know a lot of people that I was competing with sometimes doing 60 or more. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that's something kind of what we were talking about going 70% and not doing it as recovery is super important. And I remember, I know I told Josh this before in one of our talks, maybe you too, Andy, but I was reading Ben Greenfield's book a few years ago and I remember him talking about when he was running uh, triathlons and such he used to train like five, six days a week and he always did well uh, or, or even placed top 10 or something like that. But then when he had a wife and kids, he started cutting down his mileage and his hours that he put in per week. And then he started placing first because he was more recovered and the body, uh, what they've said, they say even in the uphill athlete, it, it's better mm -hmm. to under train than to over train because That's if really your body is well rested, Yep. If your body is well rested, you can perform at a much higher level. Now you, um, your races have all been on trails, right? So, uh, I assume you focus most of your training on trails as well. Uh, most of it, uh, lately I've been doing a little bit more road racing. I can explain why after, but, um, I do actually probably about twice, twice a week, or at least I was doing about twice a week on road doing about two or three days a week on trail um but sometimes it's just hard to get to trail during the week uh so being a gym owner a coach in general i often am working around other people's schedules and my day is very spread out sometimes which makes it hard to find a lot of time to go drive someplace that's half hour 45 minutes away then go for an hour 
plus run and then drive back to the gym or home or wherever. So a lot of times I do train on road just to make up the miles. Um, but I usually try to get all my long runs uh, on trail. So uh, either someplace local or head to Green, Green Lakes or Field State Park or um, or driving up north to the Adirondacks and doing some high peaks. Right. Yeah. Now, how has your um, how has your strength training um, changed while you were doing all this uh, training for these runs? Um, because you still strength train what uh, twice a week, maybe something like that. Um, strength yeah. mobility work, and you have you changed it a little bit to support the running? Are there certain exercises that you found really useful for your races? Um, so it has changed a lot in the last two years for me. So um, before running, I used to probably train four to five times a week, and um, I think also why I got into it, part of it, I started getting so busy and I was finding it hard to get in all my workouts, uh, just being in the gym all the time and being a gym owner, people talking. So it's a worst that you sometimes takes away from your workouts. I think that's part of why I also gravitated towards running. Uh, I do it at home when first thing in the morning before I do anything else. And, um, when I first started, I was going to try to keep weight training at least twice a week just to keep up some strength. But I found that it was really hard to do because my legs would be tired and I'd be trying to go into uh, a run and I couldn't perform well and the body should adapt to that. But maybe that was just an ego piece that I didn't want to feel uh, that I was running slower. Um, so I actually stopped most of my resistance training other than maybe a little bit of upper body here and there uh, up until a few months ago. And I started um, feeling a little bit weaker in some of my hills and I thought, I feel like I'm losing a lot of leg strength and my condition is getting better, but I feel like I still need to keep training my legs. Plus I want to, one of my goals has always been to be able to maintain both cardio and strength training. So I told myself I was going to start trying to throw it in. Uh, I wasn't going to go crazy. So I just started throwing in some uh, front squats, um, even occasional deadlifts, but uh, those tend to destroy my hammies a lot. So I didn't do those as often, but uh, when I started doing front squats, I started just going really light. About five reps. Um, enough where it wasn't burning me out, but just to get some stimulus to those muscles. And it, it's been a fine doing it. Uh, but what I've also been finding is over the last several months, the more I do it, the body starts to adapt. And I've often found that just by throwing in a little bit of resistance rate, my runs have gotten stronger and faster um, with it. So, would so you, I think, as a coach, would you um, encourage endurance athletes to do some strength training? And I mean, you found some benefit from that, huh? For sure. Um, I would say the same thing. Don't overdo it. Don't try to get close to the wall again because it's now going to affect the running. But I think in small dosage at a low percentage, it has some benefits. So uh, again, I had, I know I had this conversation with Josh a few weeks ago, but when I first started throwing it back in, I was kind of sore, I went into one of my runs and I was like, Ooh, maybe this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. So the next week I said, you know what, I'm going to do it again, but I'm just going to go a little bit lighter. And then I went out the next day to go for a, a speed run. And I was like 10 or 15 seconds faster, mm -hmm. uh, at a 10, 15 second faster pace than I had been previously. And I was like, Whoa. So I kept playing with it. And over several months, I started finding if I went too heavy, I would get slow. If I went just a tad later, I was fast. And I started to see a correlation. So I've been playing with that. And then right before most of my races, I actually cut down to like Olympic lifting. And again, same thing, not for strength, just, mm -hmm. just power, speed, technique. And I would recover well, feel good. And now over several months, I feel like I'm starting to actually build some of my leg strength back in the gym mm -hmm. and still getting faster in my runs. I have to imagine for the kind of races you're doing, that's especially useful just because you're doing a lot of elevation. And I mean, for, you know, if you're doing a long road, road race on flat ground, maybe the leg strength isn't all that useful. A little bit for sure. But yeah. You know, for the mountain races that you're doing, I mean, I know just hiking in the mountains, my quads yeah. are destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's part of why I wanted it is I wanted it for those skills. Um, I, part of the reason I like trail running versus road running is I get really bored on road and running on flat terrain all the time. I like the hills. I like the variation. 
Uh, again, I, as I said, I've uh, hiked all the high peaks and I'm continuing to hike them. And I love the challenge uh, of trying to go uphill. Uh, and so by lifting more weights, it makes, or running in general, it's in doing elevation per week, you just get faster and more efficient at that. And then when it comes to trail running, there's always those. So if I could get really strong at hills on a daily or weekly basis, that only is going to improve that potential in a race or any other trail I'm on. For that 50 miler you did, can you describe the, uh, the course? Like what was the elevation gain? And also like, what were the conditions? Was there mud or water that you had to deal with? Like, yeah, for sure. This was probably the hardest race that I've done to date. Uh, so over the 50 miles, it was just about 8,000 feet of vert. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the most I'd ever done, uh, but because I went easy, it wasn't too bad, but, um, there's definitely coming down Jones road and up, uh, Labrador mountain were probably the two most challenging spots, uh, through that day. Um, but I mean, my legs felt pretty good for the most part. And the only issue I had, which may have been going down Jones road too fast was I had a a quad cramp that led to some knee pain, which I couldn't get rid of for about 10 miles. I think it was uh, when I finally, yeah, it was, it was a while. It was kind of frustrating. Me, but once I figured out what it was and I got it pulled out, then pain went away. I felt great and was able to keep moving. Um, what, what else did you ask about that? Oh, but the, condi- the conditions. Just, just for, oh yeah. And, and mud too. So I only raced out there, ran out there a few times, but I had heard from a t- couple of local runners that they always say it's usually always muddy uh, on that course. It was actually drier than normal. So, excuse me. So that was actually nice, but yeah, there's definitely mud at a lot of the different places. So you got to be careful like that too, not to fall trip, mm-hmm. flip and slide. That's got to be so hard to deal with because, you know, I've, I've got quite a background in road racing, but not so much on the trails. And I, I get mad when my socks get like even just a little bit wet, like if it rains for a few minutes, I can't imagine stepping in like muddy, you know, mud puddles and just getting my shoes soaked all the way through. But that's something you deal with on these races. Sometimes like just the first few miles, then you got to deal with that for the whole rest of the race. <laughs> yeah. You bring, like, a, one, you bring like extra socks with you or something or. Yeah. On this race, because I was expecting it to be worse. Um, actually, yeah, I think I did get covered a few times, but I did. I, I kept an extra pair of wool socks in my bag just in case I needed them. I think I threw an extra pair in one of the drop bags in case I needed them. Um, extra tape. Um, also warm. It was actually a pretty cool day for ultra run ultra run but it was still like what 65 70 degrees that day so you're also carrying um the guy had body glide at the time or like squirrels nut butter or something for chasing um that's a huge issue in a lot of these long races that i'm learning to deal with yeah so there's a lot that goes into these things that people don't think about it's not just being fit enough to do it there's a lot to think about yeah logistics and preparation and, and like you, did you say for your, your quad cramp, you, you foam rolled it at one of the aid stations? Did they have yep. foam rollers there? Or did you? No. So actually, uh, my buddy Doug, he had a taster crew member that was at one of the aid stations. And uh, I actually know her. I wanted to run races with her too. She was a member at our gym for a while. So when I got to the aid station, she was asking me, do you need anything? Do you need me to fill up water? Do you need a roller? Do you need to get anything worked out? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got some either calf, either a calf cramp or quad cramp, something is affecting my knee. I need to get this rolled out. She was like, here, you can use this. And I think I tried my calf the first time and it felt better. So I was like, oh, okay, let's keep going. And then it wasn't better. And so then I think by the time I got to the second aid station, then I rolled out the quad and finally I got moving again. And I was like, a few minutes later, I was like, okay, perfect. Now we're back in business. Everything feels good. And and able to get back to thinking about finishing versus when I had that cramp, there was definitely parts going through my head. Like I have grit, so I didn't plan on quitting, but I was like, but what happens if it's, I'm in too much pain to continue? What if I'm just too slow now? I was doing really good and I was thought I might have potential to win, but now I got this huge, uh, I got this injury holding me back. So I was really, really lucky actually to have Kelly there um, to help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's huge. 
Would um, you say, Bob, um, for like the weekend warrior, uh, let's say that's listening to this right now, they run 5Ks and, and that, and they're inspired uh, by your journey or to your journey to run in 50 miles, um, you know, at one clip. You know, let's say the 5K runners, you know, in that 25-minute range right now, and they want to work up to the capacity to do a 50-miler. Um, like, what would you tell them? What would you give them for advice? Um, and like, how long do you think it would take them realistically to build that capacity? And I know it's highly individual, but what do you think? Yeah, it's definitely individual. It depends on your starting point. Um, but I guess if you're saying they're starting with a 5K, that depends on how easy the 5K is for them. Kind of mileage starting running. But when I started training for the 30k or excuse me the 50k the 30 miler i was starting off running around five six miles so i wasn't even i was already you know i was slow but i was at least i had the endurance to at least get those mileage in if you're struggling for a 5k it's definitely going to take longer um but the biggest thing is definitely give yourself enough time so i trained for about six months uh before my first 50k uh, i was definitely well prepared so could you do it faster possibly um but I would definitely think at least six months, mm-hmm. if not a little longer. To get from 5K to 50K. Oh, yes, yeah, 50K. Months? And so 50 mile might be, could be more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could be another year. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like the big key here for, for people listening is um, pacing correctly um, and then tailoring their volume to be appropriate so they don't overtrain because we Correct. see this in strength and conditioning all the time. Um, I know running um, specifically, it sounds like that's a big key to longevity and not getting injured, right? Well, yeah. I mean, one, like you said, not overtraining, but also injuries. So, I mean, I never had any major injuries so far. Um but I definitely had some things hold me back where um, maybe not doing enough mobility or not enough stretching where, you know, I did really well for a few months, but then calves start to tighten up or quads start to tighten up and then you start to get some knee pain or some ankle pain and that can set you back on your journey as well. Uh, I'm not going to say it's not possible to run a, a 50K or a 50 mile or faster. I've seen just in some of the Facebook groups, even some people who said they were running their first 50 mile or after three weeks of training, mm-hmm. which is just blows my mind that somebody even attempts that. But so it's doable, but I don't encourage that. Uh, even seeing my journey, like so you're going to have setbacks when you're doing something repetitive over and over and over again, you're going to get some uh, mobility issues or some uh, tightness or some injuries. And so you're going to have to put in the time to roll stretch um, or redistribute some strength in some maybe other areas. Um, and so definitely I encourage giving yourself enough time. Um, usually a good rule of thumb is about 10 to 15% increase in mileage um, every other week. Um, I, if you're maybe a little more advanced, you might do it every week for say two or three weeks and then have a recovery week. So that's what most of my plan looks like now is I will increase my mileage or, or long run distance for about three weeks in a row. But then I take it a week and I pull back uh, and cut that down about 50%. And then, and then kind of rebuild back up. And then over time, you're just adding more time and mileage. That's a good rule of thumb there. The 10 to 15% every two to three weeks. And then they deload and then they increase again. Yeah. And I always love that strategy in almost any athletic pursuit, the whole like two or three steps forward, one step back, two or three steps forward, one step back. I think that's really the the body likes that a lot, getting that that kind of three to one ratio where you get that little rest week in there. Um, That's just so good for longevity. Yeah, overreaching versus overtraining. And and it's very hard to stick to because when you're doing those three progressive weeks in a row and you feel great on that third week, you're like, I want that fourth week. I want that fifth week. (laughs) You got to rein it in. (laughs) That's something I struggled with in the beginning because you're, like you said, you feel good. My natural tendency is, well, why not keep going? But I knew that with the mileage that I had in mind, this wasn't just like running a, again, a 5K or a 10 miler. It's like, 
this is a lot of distance. This is a lot of repetition. And I want to make sure I don't injure myself in the process. Mm-hmm. I got kind of a, a so. fun little question for you here. Um, Cause a lot of people hate running. And I, so I like to ask this of endurance athletes is, yeah, there you go, Josh. <laughs> what do you, what do you like out of this? Like, what do you get out of it? Aside from the the physical benefits and stuff, like mentally, what's what draws you to do this, and why do you want to keep doing it? Um, so one of the things that got me into it was like going out west and being in the mountains. And I used to do a lot of hiking. Uh, part of the problem with hiking though is it can take you eight to 10, 12, 15 hours sometimes to. Uh, cover some trail or something it takes you all day. You get done tired, hungry, um, and you maybe only accomplished 10 or 15 miles or something, which sounds like a lot. But when I started out West, I, I only go out maybe once or twice a year. And every time I was there, I'd be there for a week or 10 days. And I always wanted to cover so much more. I wanted to see more, do more. And so with, um, several years ago, I got into, started running some of the trails just to, again, work out, fly through some of the trails a little bit more. And I started realizing one, probably one of the biggest things that I noticed was I started to feel like a kid again, jumping and rock hopping and moving around. Like, again, you're on a road, it's just repetitive. But when you're up jumping from uh, rock to rock or to root, I just started to feel like a kid. My heart rate was up. I was enjoying myself. And on top of that, being out West, I had, uh, when I started this, I was in Washington, the, uh, um, North Cascade Mountains, and it was just beautiful. And the, the background was just amazing. And it just kind of helped re spark. I was already starting to run a little bit, but it just kind of re sparked like, I want to be out here doing this stuff. Uh, I love, you know, like I've always loved resistance training, obviously, um, played football, bodybuilding, but I spent sometimes Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday day in the, in the gym surrounded by the same white walls, you know, being out in the mountains was just a whole, I don't know, it was just very fulfilling and to explore the world plus seeing what your body's capable of. Um, so I don't know, it just brought up a whole new passion. And a lot of times even when I'm running on road now, in the back of my head, I see mountains and I'm just like, this is why I'm doing this to be better at those things. Um, and so like one of my goals now is I want to start running the Adirondack 46, uh, a buddy of mine who I started running with this year is gritting out the 46 and it kind of convinced me that if I'm going to ultra run, I want to be in the peaks. I'm going to cover a lot more. I might as well go for the grit. Why not? What is is that, Bob? I know you put that in your bio. Um, what is, what is the, I've never heard of that before. Uh, so gritting basically means that you're running all 46 peaks every month of the year. Um, so there's a calendar year 46, which is what most people think of when you mention it. As far as uh, a normal grid, it just basically means that you over two years, three years, five years, however long it takes you. But essentially, you run every single peak in January, every single peak in February, March, April, May, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I've already finished. I finished up my first round of the 46 last year. Right now, I'm only four peaks away from my second round. Um, and so I've now made an Excel spreadsheet with all the peaks each month of the year. And I'm just starting to cross them off now and which month I've done them on. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't catch all of that, Bob, because you were a little your audio was a little off. So Sorry. you said each month you do what what do you do for peaks each month? So you're going to try to hit all 46 peaks each month of the year. Oh, so all 46 in January, all 46 in February, all 46 in March, and so on and so forth. Now, this is a challenge, though, that can take any amount of time. Um, Correct. It's not like you have to do all 46 peaks okay. this month and all 46 peaks again next month. It's just that over a certain amount of time, whether it's 10 years or whatever, you've eventually done all 46 peaks in all 12 of the months. So there is a, there is a calendar year, grid, which not many people have done, but then there's just a regular grid, which as you said, Andy, it could be over the course of five or 10 years. Um, but you're still doing each one each month, which is, wow. but yeah, 
Yeah. So, so if there's 46, let me get my calculator out here. Oh, it's like 50 <laughs> peaks you're doing. Or I mean, 500 peaks. 46 times. Yeah, 552. Yeah, 552. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so cool. So there's people <laughs> actually doing that. Yeah. yeah, I haven't researched it fully. Uh, I know there's not many who've done a calendar year, but there's definitely more people printing them in general. Uh, my buddy Jay is the one that got me into it because he's, he's been working on it. I think he said he's about 300 plus peaks in right now. Uh, he's done most of the peaks somewhere between five and 10 times a piece already. Um, so he's actually set to finish his grid next year, uh, next November, I think. Um, I'm a long way away at this point, um, but I figured if I'm going to be up there, I love being up there and maybe start running more, I might as well set a new goal that, uh, keeps me focused. Now what's your, oh, I'm sorry, go on, Josh. Oh, I was just going to say on the topic of running goals, um, you mentioned like FKTs, fastest known times. I know me and you have talked about that a lot. Is there any um, right now that you're chasing or plan on going after um, now or uh, springtime or summer? Uh, I actually just was attempting one last um, last week on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a cold river loop and a friend of mine was telling me that it was a doable time for me that I should attempt it. And so I went up looking on the FKT site and saw that it was five hours in uh four minutes and 40 seconds and it was 30 miles with like on the fkt site they tell you it's only 2,000 feet of vert uh based on some stuff i saw on strava it would look like it was much closer to 3,000. um so i had in the back of my head that it's probably gonna be a little more than what was on there but just based on some of the races i've done i thought i think i can do this i have a good day and i'm feeling good i should be able to so i actually went for it on friday and well i was one i got a, a cold a few days before so i wasn't uh, but I went out there and I actually started off a little bit ahead of pace and I don't know, I may have went too hard and bonked, maybe it was being sick, but yeah, I missed it by about 20 minutes or so. Um, so if, if nobody steals, steals it from me in the next several months, I may attempt it again, uh, next summer. That's awesome. And what's your yeah. next rate? What's your next race that you have coming up? Uh, I'm going to do the Dead Horse Ultra in Moab. Oh, it is another That's 50 miler. It's another 50 miler. It was actually my A race for the year, basically just being my main focus for the year. I decided back in like, I think February or March, I was going to do it. It was going to be my main race of the year. It was supposed to be my first 50 miler. Um, but after I started training and feeling really good, um, and a few people that I've done some races with in Syracuse were talking me into the Morgan Hill, and I decided it would be a good way to. Uh, one, I, I wanted to get into it, but it also gave me a good way to know what the 50 miles is going to feel like and better prepare me for the, the Moab one, where I'm going to be traveling and doing all these other things that are just going to add so many more logistics and stress. I figured this was a good practice round, and clearly it was, since uh, I got a lot of experience and place first at the same time. Do you have a goal for Moab? Are you trying to beat your previous time, or is it a more difficult course? Like, what's yeah. the deal with Moab? Um, I have driven a lot of the course actually from a few years ago, so I kind of have an idea of what it looks like. Um, and based on doing some research on it, it's supposed to be a pretty fast course. Some of the, I think the winning or the fastest time uh, on the, on the ultra sign up is six hours and 10 minutes, uh, which I won't be near that, but yeah, it's flying. Uh, I won't be near that, but I'm nine hours if i could so there's a lot less vert than there is than there was in the morgan hill and and it also is supposed to be a much faster course so i am hoping that i can break nine hours okay it should be a nice dry course too i imagine in Moab. it should be yeah it should be real dry and it'll be nice and cool so i think i haven't looked up the weather recently but last time i looked you know this time of year it's anywhere from probably 35 to 65 degrees out. So it should be a cool temperature, uh, easy course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Easy 50 miles. Yeah. (laughs) Easy 50 miles. I'm going to try to push myself for this one. So I may bonk or 
not do so well, but I, I'm going to try to push this, push the limits a little on this. Well, that's fun though. Now that you know what you can do from your previous year tune-up race, it's fun now to try to like push it a little bit and see, see if you can live on that edge a little, like how hard can I push without bonking? And, uh, and that's Correct. another game in itself. <laughs> and it's kind of scary too, when, you, when you go out with that mindset, you know, like when I've run marathons and stuff and I'm going for a time, I'm trying to figure out how fast I can do the first 5k, 10k, 15k, whatever. And I want to go as fast as I can, but you're, you're scared the whole time. Like, Oh man, am I going to pay for this later? <laughs> yes. So you're going to be playing uh, that I'm game in Moab, huh? I am. I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I'm also excited for it because uh, I kind of want to have the race that I had at Wakely, but on this 50 miler. And I think if I can, start off maybe around a nine minute pace or nine thirty pace and then just slowly increase over time as long as I'm feeling good. That's cool. Uh, so hopefully. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, Bob, well we've learned a lot today um with the with the running side of things. Um I want to ask you three questions now. Uh we're about an hour into the podcast. Three questions that we ask all of our guests on the show. Um, so you can rattle these answers off, um, as soon as the answer comes to you. So the first one being, um, what are one to three books that have had a big influence on your life? Uh, the first one I have to bring up, which I brought up earlier is the uphill athlete. Um, I got introduced to this, uh, I think a buddy I played football in college, I think might have posted on Instagram at one point and, uh, my ex-girlfriend bought it for me and I started reading it last year and. It, there was a lot of stuff that I already knew, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't know. It's just, uh, it made me train much smarter uh, this time around. And because of it, I've accomplished so much more with running than I really anticipated. And um, I'm probably, as far as aerobically, I'm in the fittest place I've been in my entire life. So uh, definitely probably one of the biggest ones that I've, uh, biggest influence in the last two years anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. The uphill effort. Okay. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Um, any other one, second or third one, or is that the biggest one? Uh, that's the biggest one, I would say, for now. Okay. Um, all right. Second question. If you could put up a road sign anywhere, what would it say and why? A road sign. Memento Mori. And it basically means remember death. And I used to kind of, I think, take life for granted. And I was always planning for the future, which is great. And you should. Um, but I kind of got stuck in just a pattern, the same thing every day, just working and not um, not living my life to the fullest. And it took my, I think, my mother's death to kind of make me realize that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And you can work and save money and save for retirement and do all these things, but you're never guaranteed tomorrow. And so now whenever I think about different choices in my life, I think about if this is something I want to do, I'm going to go do it. And I'm not going to hesitate. I'm just going to live. I'm still saving for the future and planning for the future, but I'm also not going to sacrifice what I want today for later. Uh, another piece of why I would say that is I remember 10 plus years ago thinking I wanted to rock climb and I wanted to go out West and I wanted to do all these things. And up until three years ago, I never made any attempt at any of them. Mm-hmm. And about three years ago or so, all that stuff started happening. I realized how much time I had wasted. And so now my mentality is, again, if you want it, do it, don't hesitate. Uh, you never know what tomorrow brings. I love that answer. We see so many people really putting their life on pause until they retire. And, you know, I've always um, questioned that myself. So hearing you say that is inspiring. Um, And maybe that will inspire people listening to get out there and start living today. And and don't wait till everything is perfect because it's never going to be perfect. It's never a perfect scenario. Okay, Bob, final question. Um, now. So uh, what is your favorite supplement that you take? Do you have a recommendation, something that you, you, you prefer, your number one go-to? Um, probably either. Probably electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Either runner. Um, 
without proper sodium, magnesium, potassium, all these things, our muscles are not going to work properly and not allow us to, whether it's running or lifting, you're not going to be able to perform at the level you need to. What name brand are you taking, Bob? Uh, the biggest one that I use is Tailwind Nutrition, um, which is big in the ultra running community. Uh, but I've used a lot of different ones uh, from, uh, let's see, I can't think right now, Liquid IV um, to Noon, um, even just, uh, what's the other one? Even something that's at Gatorade, even something like Gatorade, but just getting in those electrolytes to keep yourself fueled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. So um, for everyone listening today, Bob, um, how can they learn more about Garage Gym Oneida, your business there that you're doing amazing things? Uh, how can they find you and learn more about your community? Uh, they can start off with going to the Garage Gym Oneida. Uh, they can email me at garagegymoneida at gmail.com or you can go to our Instagram or Facebook account. Again, it's the same name, Garage Oneida. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Good. And you're very active on social media. I mean, if they follow Garage Oneida or they follow Bob Polinsky, they're going to see some really cool stuff. You're always out there, yeah. like video, you're always out there taking video on your runs and <laughs> showing, showing your athletes in the gym and whatnot. It's really cool. Yeah. I'm trying to. I don't do as much as I would like, especially in garage gym, but I've been trying to make a little more effort there. Me specifically, I was always hesitant to that, or I get too focused on my runs, but uh, I started doing it, especially when I was running alone, or especially in long runs when I would get kind of bored and then start just kind of talking to myself or talking to the camera. And then when I started posting stuff, I had a lot of uh, friends and or family or even members telling me they loved it, loved following along and uh, seeing what I was doing. So it's something. I've got out of a little bit, but I'm trying to get back into it's just kind of bring everybody back into what I'm doing and help motivate or inspire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I definitely live vicariously through your uh, your your Facebook stories there when you're running through the woods and all of that. <laughs> awesome. Good. I'm glad. Super cool. That's kind of the goal. Nice. Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, this was truly inspiring. A lot of fun to talk to you. And um, if there's anything that we can do to help you out, let us know, okay? Awesome. Thank you very much. We'll do.